I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, and welcome to Once Upon a Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Effie Parks. I'm very excited to share with you a new addition to the Disorder Channel, where I co-host with the founders of the Rare Disease Film Festival and the Disorder Channel itself. We have brought you Once Upon a Gene TV. And our first episode is streaming now. We interview Nikki McIntosh from raremamas.com on ways to help navigate the holidays and manage stress when you're raising a child who has a rare disease. So go download the channel now using a Roku or an Amazon Fire Stick. It's going to be a lot of fun. Today, I'm really looking forward to introducing you to my friend. We met in such an interesting way as fellow podcasters, and she's the host of her own show called OT for Life, where she interviews thought leaders in the occupational therapy community, and they discuss valuable insights for students, practitioners, and clients. And I was actually a guest on her show too. So there's even a little bit of the parent's perspective there too. So go check it out. You all know how I feel about early intervention and the therapists that we've had along the way through Ford's life. So today I'm asking questions for her from my mama perspective on what her profession entails for families like ours. I know some people who are very early on in this journey haven't necessarily got appointments yet with their therapists and don't necessarily know what each of them specialize in. So I'm just kind of asking her all about this stuff. And if you have any questions for her, all of her contact is in the show notes. And if you're a therapist out there or if you want to share her podcast with your kids' therapists, definitely do that. All of her contacts in my show notes, like I said. So anyways, let's just get it going. Here's my convo with one of the most energetic and passionate OTs out there, Sarah Putt. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Effie. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you again. We should just actually make hangout dates on the reg. We should. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah, it was so fun. <laughs> it's great to talk to you again. So thanks for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time out. I am honored to be here. We had an episode several weeks ago where I was actually on your podcast, OT for Life. I was going to check what episode number that was, but I'll link it in the show notes on your amazing podcast. So tell me a little bit about what your podcast is and why you started it. Oh, great question. So the OT stands for Occupational Therapy and for Life because basically OT is my life and it is for my life and it pretty much kind of consumes everything about my life. And I'll point out right in the beginning that it's actually spelled L-Y-F-E. And a lot of people are like, I don't I don't get that. Like, why? Why is why is it spelled with a Y? And that is because OT for me, OT is the Y of life. So basically, in a nutshell, my show is all about occupational therapy, and I'm bringing on different occupational therapy practitioners, students, and 
other people that are either kind of affiliated with the practice area or interested in the practice area, anything like that. And yeah, I honestly, I talk about anything and everything occupational therapy. Like there's really nothing that's not on the board that I won't talk about. And gosh, it's been two years now that I've had my show and I am at 87 episodes, I think it is by this point. Yeah. And it's been amazing. It is really like it really is my life. I, I love podcasting. I love talking about occupational therapy and promoting the profession, advocating for the profession, because it's still kind of one of those professions that a lot of people don't know what it is that we do, or they have an extremely limited view about what it is that we do. So it really is just kind of getting out there and spreading the word and promoting the profession and highlighting just the amazing people that make up the occupational therapy community. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That's so exciting. I also love OTs and podcasting, so it's wonderful. (laughs) That's why we get along. (laughs) And as a parent of a child with a rare disease who has many therapists, I didn't know what an OT was before I had Ford. Can you tell us exactly what being an OT is and what it entails for those who maybe haven't had one yet or are just really kind of in the trenches and going with the flow and just have someone over taking care of their kid and they really just don't know (laughs) the entire situation? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that it is such a broad field and OT practitioners can work in so many different avenues and different kind of practice areas and have different focuses. So it's like it's like one of those things. If you meet one OT, you've met one OT because we all do so many different things within the field. What what I do compared to what all of my friends do can be completely different. So I'll start by saying I think a lot of people when they hear occupational, they hear the word occupation and they automatically assume that occupation is your job, right? So a lot of times we as OTs, we we hear people thinking like, oh, you just help people find jobs. Well, no, that's not it at all. Not even like remotely close to what, what we do. So occupation is actually defined as how you occupy your time. So anything, anything that you do within your day that occupies your time. Now, this could be self-care. So it could be something like hygiene or eating or bathing or dressing, like anything like that. But it can also go into stuff that you would do for your job. It could be stuff that you do for leisure or like play or anything like that. So really anything within your life that gives you meaning and gives you purpose to your life. And we as occupational therapists, we are basically kind of the experts on studying occupation and really what that meaning and purpose is in people's lives. And again, like what's meaningful and purposeful to me could be completely different than what's meaningful and purposeful to you, Effie, or anybody that might be listening here. So we kind of have this extremely broad lens on what we work with and and how we actually address what it is that we are doing. So anybody that would be coming to us that we would be working with as a client would be somebody that has had something happen, whether it's a diagnosis, a disability, an injury, maybe just like old age. It could be some things that are happening with old age that they're now experiencing difficulties accessing and being able to engage in the meaningful and purposeful things within their life. So that being said, it really can be across the lifespan, across the board of what we're working on. And it really looks very different depending on what occupational therapy practitioner that you're working with. And then also 
them working with their clients. Like they could be working with one client that had a stroke and then another client that had a stroke and what they're going to be doing could be completely different. So in a nutshell, it's a very broad profession, but really it's all about that meaning and purpose and how we can really best support our clients, our clients' families, the caregivers. I mean, it goes so much further beyond outside just the one-on-one kind of therapist client relationship, as you know, being being a family member and, and a caregiver. So yeah, kind of in a nutshell, that is OT. And then specifically for me, I work in early intervention. So I'm working with kiddos births at three years of age, and I focus a lot on hitting developmental milestones, working on kind of the family dynamics. So doing a lot of like parent education. I do a lot of feeding, sensory integration type stuff. You name it. I mean, I can address sleep. I can address attention. I can address fine motor, gross motor, bilateral motor coordination. So through all of these kind of aspects, I am using them within the within the play space. So basically it looks like I'm a lot of the times I'm just kind of playing with the kids, but I'm really touching on all these really important kind of developmental and foundational skills that they need to be able to engage within whatever it is that they need to do within their life. I love how you explained that of an OT is figuring out, you know, how to occupy your time and you as a therapist finding the meaning and purpose in that, in what another person needs. And that is just really cool because I do think most of us just go occupational therapist, motor skills, and there is so much more to it. And I don't necessarily think that even me as a parent can really understand the scope of the gifts and the skills that you bring to the table because it's so situational, right? And sometimes as parents, we maybe get our blinders on on what we want you to do for our kid. Like, I need you to teach Ford how to eat, or I need you to teach Ford how to hold this marker. And I'm not sure if, well, I'll just speak for myself. I'm not sure that I have personally like kind of really opened up my mind to the possibilities of what an OT can provide for Ford. Yeah. But I think even in your experience and kind of your journey that you've gone through so far, you've already noticed a, a big kind of wide framework that OTs have, have have done when working with your son, right? Starting with like some of the motor, some of the feeding, but then also moving into like the hippotherapy and, and working with the horses and that type of stuff. So even though it's still, uh, I would say it's still kind of like a very small portion of what OT can do in general, you've also very much seen a, a large Thing of or a large kind of spectrum of what we can do within the pediatric realm. That's true. That's true. I just assumed it was because you're so adaptable. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you want to become an OT specifically in the pediatric world? So, okay, well, we're going to we're going to take it back a little bit here. And I'll be honest that I didn't know what occupational therapy was until after I had graduated undergrad. I had been working at a local school district and I had been a paraeducator and a behavior therapist. So I had kind of had a lot of experience working at least with the school age population within pediatrics and even like some of my summer jobs during like when I was in college and even in high school and that type of stuff. Like I kind of always gravitated towards 
pediatrics for whatever reason. I don't know if that's just where my heart and my mind went or if that's just where the opportunity was or maybe my friends were doing. I I have no idea what actually drew me to there in the beginning. But I graduated undergrad. This was the summer right after that. I was a behavior therapist at a local school district and my colleagues, they were amazing and they were always trying to push me to like go do more, right? Like to go back to school, to really kind of expand my professional horizons and all this kind of stuff. And I remember every day, one of one of the aides in the classroom or the teacher or whatever, they'd, they'd make these comments of like, oh, you should look into speech therapy or you should look into physical therapy or you should look into, you know, insert other job here. And I would like go with my kiddos that I was working with and like attend their speech therapy sessions and attend like different things that I could throughout the day and just get this like wide exposure to what really was out there. And then this one aide that was in the classroom, she looked at me and she goes, you know, you would make a really good OT. And I like sat there and I was like, what is, I don't even know what, what are those letters? What does that mean? And she was like, well, good thing, because one of the kiddos you work with gets OT. So why don't you just go with him the next time that he has a session and go hear everything that it's that there is to know about it? And I was like, OK, cool. Right. Like I'd already been doing it, like didn't even think anything of it. And so I think it was either later that day or maybe the next day. I go with this kiddo down to his OT session and they had a gym. They had a room that was on campus, but you kind of had to like walk down like through the playground a little bit to get there. So I remember like walking down with this kiddo and we're just like, okay, whatever. And then open the door to this room and my eyes just lit up. And I looked over at the little boy that I was with and he was like a little preschooler and same thing, like his eyes were as big as mine. And I remember looking around the room and there was a ball pit and a scooter board ramp and there were all these toys and swings and trapeze and bolsters. And I, I was just like, wait, this is a job? Like, hold up. <laughs> I need to know everything that I can about this. And I met the OT that was there. She is one of the most fantastic humans I've ever met in my entire life. She was basically sharing her entire passion and just everything that she like, she just basically like oozed OT and was just so passionate about it. And I literally after that, I was like, this looks really cool. I went home. I Googled occupational therapy programs. I like Googled like what is OT and started applying and like got into school a couple of months later. And honestly, like 11 years. Well, I guess since then, it's probably been 13 to 14 years because that would have been before I went to school. I have not looked back and I'm so thankful that I kind of stumbled into the profession or maybe the profession found me. Maybe it was just fate. I don't know. But yeah, that that was a really kind of pivotal moment in my life. And I'm so thankful that I had that encounter. And here I am now. <laughs> Isn't it funny how things like that just get put in front of you? I love that story. And you're like every parent's dream come true in a therapist. Your road to where you are now and even having that background as a behavioral therapist. Are you kidding me? That's incredible. And yeah, just hearing the passion and hearing how much you love it and especially love working with kids. I mean, this is what I'm always talking about, right? Like therapists like you make all the difference in the lives of not just our kids, but our our entire families. And I am just 
I'm so excited <laughs> to have gotten to know you. And I'm so happy to know that someone like you is putting content out there and helping to educate other OTs and, you know, having a platform for even parents like me to kind of glimpse in there. It's very yeah. cool. Well, and honestly, kind of talking about that, that parent aspect, and that's one of the big reasons that I brought you on my podcast. Like I mentioned in the beginning, usually it tends to be occupational therapy practitioners or students or people that are kind of affiliated, right, with the profession. But when your episode came out, and it's been it's been a couple of weeks now that it's been out, I had such an influx of practitioners were, that were like, thank you for sharing this lens. Because it's one thing to just constantly talk to other practitioners and kind of be in that echo chamber of like, we all understand the language, we all understand what we're doing. But then to bring on a parent that has been on the receiving end, right, of, of occupational therapy and lots of different other therapeutic services to share their appreciation, to share their journey, to share their perspective of what they've gone on, what really they've experienced, that painted this huge picture for the practitioners to take that and be like, what we're doing is making a difference. Because I think a lot of times we get kind of stuck in the mundane day to day, just what we have to do. And like just kind of our standard daily routine practice, whatever. But hearing the difference that we can make for our clients and their caregivers and their families really just kind of like connected the dots for people. And they were just like, I needed to hear this. Like, I've been struggling, especially with the pandemic and COVID and everything that's kind of happening. A lot of practitioners have been struggling and, and healthcare providers across the board have been struggling. So really hearing your perspective and, and hearing how much it had changed your life, that had such an impact on me. And But I also had so many people reach out to me that were just like, thank you for sharing that. This is exactly what I needed to hear. And yes, there were a lot of tears because it was so real and so honest. But like, that's like that realness. That's really what I want to bring to the table to not only advocate for our profession, but also bring that awareness to other people that might not know what it is that we can do and might not know the impact that we can have on our clients and their families. Yeah, well, thank you for saying all that. And I'm so happy that you got that response from the therapists. I wish we could do more for them, right? Uh, you know, everybody's has so much on their plates. And sometimes we, we just think people know how much we appreciate them. And it's, it's always good to kind of remember that even if you have to pencil it in, maybe to go out of your way to appreciate someone who really is a change maker in your household and who's helping, you know, carry that pretty heavy load sometimes. And I and our therapists are definitely one of the biggest pieces of that. I want to know how are some ways that we as caregivers and parents can show up for therapists? Like, what do you wish sometimes when you maybe feel defeated after an appointment or when you kind of do sort of feel stuck in a rut? What are some of the things that could make a difference in your well-being as a therapist? That's a tough question. I think kind of what I was saying earlier is that therapists can kind of get wrapped up in their day-to-day -day routines. But then I also think families can get wrapped up in their daily lives. And whether there's a lot of stress or emotionality or a lot of changes happening, like regardless of the situation, I think it's very easy for us to get kind of that, we kind of get our, like our blinders on and we really only focus on like the task at hand and what we're dealing with. And a lot of times, like there can be things that are happening on kind of the outside, like it's not happening during therapy, but like the practitioners dealing with some personal stuff at home or maybe some other professional things that are happening within their work. And like same goes for that family. And 
honestly, I, I really do think it, it just kind of comes back to that communication piece. And I know that like not every single session, the therapist and the parent or the caregiver can really like sit down and like have that connection, especially when like life just gets in the way. But I think even something as simple as just like, thank you for showing up today. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for like that smile that you just brought on my kid's face. That means the world to me right there. Like even if the rest of the session was a complete hot mess and the kid was crying and the parents stressed out and like anything like that. But like, I think really just kind of celebrating those those small wins that happen within therapy. But I think that just all kind of comes down to communication. And I'm not just blaming the parents because I know that the therapists, I'm, I'm guilty of getting kind of caught up in it as well when there's other things on your mind. But yeah, I think it's really just trying to be present. And regardless of what's going on in the world or in our worlds and anything like that, just when you're with a family, when you're when you're with a kiddo, just focusing on that moment, focusing on that 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it is that you get with that family and just being present when the therapist is with the family and then, you know, when when the therapist is at the family's house. I feel like that could do wonders and is often, it's just easy to get caught up in that, like just kind of the daily stuff and you forget that like people are taking time out of their day to show up for you and you are also as a family taking time out of your day to, to show up for the therapist and even if it's stressful and all that kind of stuff, I think just that really just being present and, and showing the respect on both sides. I think that could be huge. Thank you for that reminder. We could use that in every setting that we're in. And I feel like maybe some of us get good at certain situations where we really are more mindful and we really are trying to live in the present. But yes, having having reminders for specific situations, <laughs> you know, it, it definitely helps. It's just another building block to just make that work. So here's kind of a tough question. And nobody's going to like take this personally or whatever. But what do we do as parents if we don't think that you're the right fit for us? What is the best way to go about maybe disconnecting a relationship with one of our therapists and finding a new one? And most likely it's going to be from the same facility or whatever. What's the best way to go about doing that? I think and again, this just this goes back to that communication piece. I've been practicing now for 11 years. And now if you would have asked me this question when I was in my first couple years of practice, my answer would have been completely different. I think having the experience, having worked with so many different families and having been fired, right, quote unquote, fired from clients before and their families, it's really given me this different perspective of and, and almost like a different appreciation of really what's going on. And I think that first, like first off, therapists need to understand that we might not be the best fit for every single family. And that's okay, right? Like that, it seems harsh and we want to be able to help. We could like skill wise and education wise and all this kind of stuff, expertise, like we could help any family, but it doesn't mean that personality and timing and all this is, is going to work out. And even like the way that we kind of carry out our methodologies of like how we actually go about treatment. So like first and foremost, therapists need to understand that we might not be a good fit for every single family. And the same goes for the family. Like they need to understand that every therapist has a slightly different 
protocol, they have a different approach. Like some therapists will come in and they are very cutthroat and they are just, we do it my way and we do it now. And if you don't do it my way, that's, it's just not going to work. While that will work for some kids, that might not work for all kids. Some kids might need that a little bit more passive, a little bit more like playful approach. They might need a little bit more time. You might need to break down that wall a little bit. And every therapist has a unique skill set that they bring to the table. And I really think if you are a parent and you have, whether it's an OT or another healthcare provider, another therapist that comes and you're just like, I don't think this is working. Like this my, my kid's always in tears. The therapist doesn't seem happy. I'm not happy. I really think that like, A, having that communication and, and bringing it up with the therapist. Now, keep in mind, some therapists might not be able to receive that. Understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not going to really understand why you're saying that. And they might they might take it negatively. But I know I've had families before that rather than communicate what was happening with me, they undermined my thought process. They undermined my ability and they undermined what I brought to the table and constantly questioned me, constantly told me how to, I should be doing my job better. And it got to the point that I was just like, you know what, this isn't, this is not a good relationship for me. This, I would get stressed out going to see these families. And I, even though I loved the kids and I loved what I did when I was there, the connection with the parent, there, there was, there was just this, this disconnect for me. So I ultimately actually had to kind of cut off or cut ties with some of these relationships because I knew that it wasn't working out for me. And then all of a sudden the parents are like, wait, what are you doing? And I'm like, you've been undermining me for months. And I am like completely stressed out every time that I come. So I think the parents need to understand that it's okay. It is definitely okay that a therapist might not be the best fit for your child. And it could just be like that year or that six months or that portion of time, right? It, it might not be for life, but understanding that everybody's just a little bit different. And and actually, I was talking about kind of the, the kids being receptive to the therapist, but also the parents being receptive to the therapist. So the kids could be doing fabulous in therapy, but the parents don't like the methodology of what the therapist is bringing to the table. So I think my, my bottom line is like, it's okay. And if you get to that point, just open it up with a therapist it may or may not go well with that, but you can always go either to the organization or the company where the therapist came from. And it's definitely, it's okay. And I think it will show strength from a therapist perspective if they can take a step back and be like, yeah, you know what? I can see that too. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you also said that it can be situational on a timeline, right? Like what if that family is so deep in the trenches of just, you know, keeping their kid alive and going through all of the diagnostic stuff and like they don't like anyone? Or what if it's, you know, it could be, a, it could be so many other things, but I think remembering your intention behind it, right? And communicating like you said, which is something that a lot of us have to learn, uh, especially to do gracefully and, you know, kind of get the results that we want without being too scared to bring it up or letting things go on for too long that shouldn't. I think we definitely get really good at advocating for our kids, but sometimes it's a skill that like has to just be built. And having a therapist that is coming from your perspective of having some experience with this kind of situation and understanding that a family's just going to feel differently sometimes and not necessarily taking that personally. It's it can be really complicated, but I think I think as long as everyone's listening to each other, 
you can do it without bad blood. <laughs> yeah, I and, and like I said, like at the beginning of my answer for that, when I would have first started practicing and if somebody would have said, I don't want you anymore as a practitioner, that probably would have crushed me. And that probably would have been like, what did I do? I failed. I did something wrong. Like, I'm a bad therapist, whatever, whatever the excuse, whatever that kind of negative self-talk would be. And now that I'm more experienced, I'm just like, you know what, even if I even if I didn't even have an inkling of like the family didn't like me, most of the time therapists are going to know. But like, I would just kind of sit there and be like, okay, that's perfectly fine. There are other people that also need help and maybe I'll be a better fit for them. And hopefully we can get a therapist that will pair up with this family to the best of their ability. So really kind of like putting, even though it's a difficult subject and a difficult conversation to have, putting a positive spin on it of being like, it's okay. It's perfectly fine. And hopefully we can make it better in the long run. Mm, Yes. Amen to that. So I know for me, I've had a couple situations with therapists where they've maybe asked me a question like, hey, have you had this test for Ford? Or, hey, you know, he kind of reminds me of this other kid that has this going on. Have you ever looked at that? Is there a way that you gently maybe nudge parents to ask a doctor about a certain situation? Or how do you handle that without maybe overstepping or worrying a parent too much? And are you even allowed to bring concerns like that up at all? Yeah, that that's really going to be kind of case and topic dependent because occupational therapists from our scope of practice, we are not allowed to diagnose. And I have heard horror stories of other therapists that come in or then they're like basically being like, your child has autism. And I'm like, wow, that is so far something that we cannot do. We don't, we don't have in our, in our foundation. We don't have it in our scope of practice that has to come from some sort of a doctor, whether it's, you know, the pediatrician or a developmental doctor or something like that, neurologist, like, you know, some sort of doctor specialist. So I think if it's anything that's coming from a diagnostic lens, we as therapists have to be extremely careful because, again, we can't diagnose. So what we would have to do is really, I think, tie it back, go back to the framework of occupational therapy and bring it back to the occupations, bring it back to the implications that are going on with this child that they are having issues with X, Y, and Z. Maybe it's feeding, maybe it's dressing, maybe it's fine motor skills, maybe it's balance, maybe it's attention, visual skills, like really bringing it back to the skills that we're noticing some deficits in how that is actually kind of affecting their lives and and their occupations, right? If they have poor fine motor and visual motor skills and they can't pick up a Cheerio and put it in their mouth and they're having difficulty feeding that way or something like that. So it's a delicate balance. And I would never be the therapist that would be like, you need to do this. I would be talking with the parents and really trying to get a good understanding of like, where they're at, right? Because you don't want to push them to do something that they might not be ready for. You also don't want to necessarily push for something that you might not fully believe either, right? Like it's it's such this like delicate balance and I think maybe experience plays a role in that. Like if you have if you have had other kids and you're like this seems pretty similar to something else that I've gone through, but I would never make it like this 
this like hard stop of like, you have to do this. It would be more just like, these are things that I'm noticing. These are some difficulties that I'm noticing. This is what you're sharing with me. And maybe based on some other experiences, these are other things that families have sought out and they've had good results from. Uh, If you're interested, I can give you more resources or maybe you can talk to your doctor about it. And really, I think that the big thing is that like OT and any specialist, we're not operating in a bubble. So it's not necessarily like whatever I say goes. It's more just like, hey, I'm noticing this. Maybe this is something that you could bring up to your doctor or bring up to the neurologist, bring up to the the GI specialist and try to bring in that whole team perspective, especially working in early intervention. A lot of times we're the only practitioner that's with the family at that moment, but really trying to remember that every kind of everybody has like a piece to the puzzle or a piece of the pie there and see if anybody else is kind of noticing similar things or maybe they even might attribute it to something else. So I think, yeah, it's like it's a delicate balance, but then bringing in bringing in other sets of eyes and really kind of bringing in that team approach to make sure that recommendations or referrals or anything like that is kind of seen across the board. Yeah. And I personally really appreciate that kind of stuff because you're the only people who see my kid almost as much as I do. But I see them so much that I might be missing a lot because I'm kind of in a vortex. Um, So obviously the balance of how you approach a parent and what you decide to bring up and whatnot. But I think sometimes we can kind of just be really consumed and also we're so new to this, a lot of us, that we don't know about other kinds of tests that can happen or things that work for other kids because we're swamped. So I personally appreciate all the input as long as you're not making me feel inadequate of course (laughs) I'll I'll take it like give me give me whatever it is just make sure to write it down. So Sarah what do you think are some questions maybe that parents like me or caregivers aren't asking. What are the questions that we need to ask? What's the insight that we need to maximize our appointments or our care plan for our kids? Man, like (laughs) you said the last one was going to be hard. I'm like, this one's hard too. No, (laughs) sorry. Well, I'm just wondering, like, I know I've learned like through doctor's appointments. I didn't know that when I should leave a doctor's appointment that I should say, is there anything else I should know? I I learned that. And by asking that question, when I leave doctor's appointments, I get like a whole other appointment out of it. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, because I don't know, like, what else do I need to know to make sure that I get the most bang for my buck and not talking money, but that the service is maximized or that our trajectory in, you know, our therapy is. Does that even make sense? Yeah, yeah. In no, your world? It, it does. <laughs> it definitely does. And like part of me, I, I'm like, I'm struggling to answer the question because like part of me, I'm like, this is something that the therapist should be doing from day one or even like the first phone call or email or like that first connection with the parent. I feel very strongly that anytime that you are starting with a brand new family, that we as therapists need to be proactive in explaining who it is that we are and what we do. And I think so often, again, this goes back to like getting caught up in that like daily mundane, whatever. We just go about and we just assume everyone knows what an OT does. Everyone knows that we're here to help the kids and yada, yada. Right. But sometimes our families might not know what it is that we do and what it is that we can bring to the table to help them with. So like part of me, I'm like, we need to be doing this as therapists. So I'm going to try to answer the question of like (laughs) what parents can ask here. And 
honestly, I think if your therapist is not being like kind of bringing it up from the beginning, from that very first meeting, the the parents need to understand what this is going to look like. What is the process? And I'm not talking like specific, like we're going to work on a piggy bank activity. Like I'm not talking like that specific, but just more like what is the overall therapy process going to look like, at least at this moment? It's probably going to change and it's going to adapt and modify and, and pivot given the strengths and the needs of the child. But really from day one, what is it going to look like? And and how even they can ask, how can I best support you here? Right? Like, is it having the same time every day? Is it this? Is it that? Or every week, I should say. But I think understanding the therapy process from the beginning would be really, really, really important for the families. Because in my experience, what I've realized is that a lot of these difficult tensions, maybe misunderstandings that happen is because the the families aren't understanding what it is that I'm doing in that moment. And they might think that I am working on something completely different than potentially maybe what the goal is or what they perceive the goal as being. And again, I don't know if that's just the parent's fault or the therapist's fault because there needs to be that communication piece. But I think a lot of times like if you're supposed to be working on, say, feeding, but you're doing some sort of like sensory based activity, sometimes the parents might not be able to connect the dots where the therapist knows I'm doing this as kind of this foundational building block activity, like preparatory activity. And then we're going to go to be able to work on the actual goal, but the parents might not be able to see that. So I think understanding the journey from the beginning, understanding the process from the beginning, and then any time that you're like, what are you doing with my kid? Right? Like anytime you get yeah. that question of like, I don't see what you're working on, ask and have the therapist explain, even though they should be doing it anyway, but like have them explain what it is that they are doing in that moment and how it will connect to one of the end goals or maybe a concern that the parent had brought up, anything like that. Like, I really think there needs to be this kind of openness across the board. And I think that would be extremely beneficial and also help eliminate some of these difficult moments where maybe the parents get frustrated because they feel like the therapist isn't addressing what it is that they want them to be doing. And if the therapist isn't addressing what they want them to be doing, that's a great way to bring it up and be like, okay, but I don't see how this applies to the goal. And if the therapist doesn't have a good answer, maybe that will help them guide them to whatever it is that they need to be doing in that moment. Totally. And I think that it's so important to actually have this conversation and you know, have it on a podcast episode, because I know a lot of us have felt that way. A lot of us have had moments with therapists, different kinds of therapists where we're like, I'm never coming here again. They don't know what they're doing. This is a dumb activity. Yep. <laughs> and and maybe it's because we were having one of those days or maybe it's because we should just ask. And, you know, maybe we aren't getting the communication on the other end. But I think it's good to know that we all have had these moments and we all have these thoughts. And these are ways to address them in our appointments if if we're feeling frustrated by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm never frustrated. I love my OTs. Like, obviously, you know, I'm obsessed with my early intervention team and so on. So I'm super grateful. But I definitely have had a couple of appointments outside of that where I was just like, nope, I'm going. I think you can feel that, too, right away, typically, of when you're with your person or not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I know that we all need to be reminded to do our therapy 
homework at home. And sometimes that can be really overwhelming, especially when we have 10 different therapists that we see for our kids. So when we get homework from every therapist to make sure you do this, make sure you do that, make sure you do this. What would you say to those of us who like really have the best intentions of practicing something for a certain amount of time, but just can't all the time? Is it really going to hinder our therapy plan a lot? Or is that something that we should also just be open to? Like, I'll get to it if I can, but it's hard. <laughs> oh, I, I get it. And I'll start by saying that when I've had to get, say, physical therapy or other therapy stuff for myself as the client and the patient, I am horrible about carrying out and executing my home, ex home exercise program. So I get it because... I think so often the kind of traditional medical model education piece is like, here's a handout. Okay, now I want you to do this five times a day for 10 minutes each time. And that just doesn't work, right? Like that is not real life at all. And I think one of the amazing parts about being an occupational therapist and really having this holistic view of, of looking at each individual client, whether it's a child or an adult, is that we can look at everything within their lives. And so rather than really kind of, for me, rather than having this super prescriptive home exercise program that I want them to be doing, I really try to embed whatever it is that I want my clients and their families to be doing into their daily routine. So it's not just a stop your life and now focus on this gross motor activity for five minutes. It is, how can we embed this gross motor activity into your daily routine where it doesn't hinder anything? And it almost just becomes habit. Yes. So we have to like take a step back and think about how habits and routines form to begin with and then be able to almost stack the things that we want our clients to be doing within their day in the natural routines that are already happening. So love that. For instance, like like I said, like if it was a gross motor, if you wanted them to be doing something like frog jumps or uh wall push-ups or chair push up whatever it is, right? You would want to maybe embed that into a natural transition. So when the child gets out of bed in the morning, then they can do this gross motor activity as they go to brush their teeth. Or like this sensory-based activity as they're going to the the kitchen table, right? So we're embedding the exercises, whatever it is that we want them to do in their natural routine. A big one that I use, especially for the younger kiddos and the kiddos that are still in diapers is doing something every time that you do a diaper change, right? That's a natural thing that happens multiple times a day within that family's routine. So like, I, I have a lot of like feeding kiddos that I'll work with and I want the parents to start doing some sort of like oral motor protocol. And I'll say, every time you go to change their diaper, spend a couple minutes and do this oral motor exercise that I just taught you how to do. So it's not just like this like black and white, like you have to do it at 10 o'clock every day. It's more just like when at this moment that is already naturally occurring, why don't you give it a shot and try it here? 
Totally. Oof, that's so good, Sarah. That is how I can accomplish things when they're set up exactly like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. When the encode, is, when the code is already embedded, that's how I can get stuff done. Yeah. And and that's exactly even how we as like adults operate, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So many of us probably like want to get better about working out. Well, like what's what's the hardest part about working out? It's actually overcoming all the barriers to put on your workout clothes, put on your shoes, get to the gym if you're doing that or even just step outside to go for a run. So if you can start to embed some of that into your natural routine, all of a sudden it eliminates those barriers and makes it easier for the families and the kiddos to start doing naturally and organically. And that's that's really the best. And I think, too, there was one more thing that I was going to bring up. Oh, where did it go? Now I lost it. <laughs> oh, what I was going to say is because you kind of asked the question about, like, if we don't do it, is that going to hinder or like, is that going to have an effect on therapy? And honestly, I think it's not that you have to do everything. But if a therapist is asking you and requesting that you do X, Y and Z, there is some reason behind it that they they want that extra repetition. They want that extra experience and opportunity for the child to engage in whatever it is that activity that they want them to be doing. Because if you think about it, a therapist would be working with a child maybe once a week for an hour, maybe twice a week, right? Depending on state, depending on funding, whatever it is, sometimes it's 30 minutes a month, right? The parents and the caregivers are with the kiddos 24-7. And there's so much more room for opportunities and exposure and being able to do those activities outside of when the therapist is there. So there, there is such a benefit by being able to do these things more so than when just the therapist is there, right? Like an hour a week. And even if they're only going to be doing it for five or 10 minutes out of the session. So there is that important piece that like, yeah, this is beneficial, but it's also got to work within the family's own routines, the family schedule, and also not create additional stress for the families where they're like, you know, mom's like, I don't even have time to shower. And now I have to spend an hour every day doing this home exercise program for my kiddo, right? So it's like, it's, it's up to the family and the therapist to really just make that connection to make it work. And even if it's the therapist wants 10 minutes and the family can do two, so be it, right? Like there, yeah. there's got to be like this kind of give and take between the two. Yeah, Espe yeah, totally. And understanding that it can be in smaller increments and you can incorporate it in different parts of your day. And also, too, to just know that it's OK if you need a break. It's OK if you need a break, because sometimes it just gets to be too jam packed. So, yeah, just one more thing then, Sarah. I just want to know maybe what you really want to leave with parents like me who are listening. Maybe if there's any sort of advice that you have or just kind of a mantra that you have that could help parents like me? Man, another good one. <laughs> another good question. Wow, you are <laughs> it's my extra cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. You are really making me think today. <laughs> I really do think the big thing is, and this is something that I've, I've really, I've known. I've known for a while, but in listening to your podcast and in listening to you, Effie, kind of share your journey and your story, it really connected this for me is understanding that the parents aren't alone. And by bringing a therapist into their lives 
doesn't mean that it is like the end all be all, right? I think there's a very big stigma around therapy, especially for families that have never maybe had a kid that had that required therapy before or families that didn't that assumed that therapy just meant like there's something significantly wrong with my child. I think there's just this this huge stigma especially in early intervention, especially when the kids are really, really young. And I've seen it time and time again where families like don't even really want to allow us as therapists like into their lives because they have this kind of wall built up of like, no, 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 this this means my kid's going to have a label or this means that my kid has special needs, quote unquote, right? Like whatever these kind of like negative associations happen, given the the, the therapy I guess, mindset. And I I guess I really just kind of want to break that stigma and be like, we're here to help. And, and we're here to help anybody that might require some sort of an additional support, whether it is a kiddo that has significant delays, or maybe it's a kiddo that just had a little rough start in life that just needs a little bit of extra support. And or maybe the family just needs a little bit of extra support. So I really think I want the families to understand that like, they're not alone. They're not going through this alone. And we are here. We as occupational therapy practitioners are here to support them in any way that we possibly can. And who knows what the future is going to look like, right? Just because a kid gets therapy when they're six months old or a year old doesn't mean that they're going to need it when they're older or it could, right? Like we don't know, but just to be open and accepting about that and to know that they're not alone, because I think a lot of times parents kind of maybe shut th- shut people out because they're like, this is my life and I don't I don't know how to handle everything else. But to understand that, like, we're here and we will do whatever it is that we possibly can to help the family and support them. Oh, my God, I loved so much of that. I would pick it apart, but it was my last question. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. And thanks for that really, really important and generous offer. I think parents, you know, knowing that they're not alone and there's more to just your family and your friends and other parents like us, but that there's this is a big circle that you start creating when you have a kid like mine and it's one to be embraced especially when you find the right person. You're not even my son's OT and you're one of my people. So (laughs) thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you shared with us today. And I think a lot of parents are going to find some value in it. Thank you for this opportunity. I, as anybody that listens to this can probably hear in my voice. I love talking about occupational therapy and I love talking specifically about working my work in pediatrics and early intervention. And yeah, just... I think really bridging that gap between the therapy providers and the parents is huge. And I think there's there's still a lot of work that can be done. And I think there are some amazing therapists out there that are already doing this work. But I, I do think that there's so many things that we really can address within kind of our practice and within the sessions and really just kind of bottom line, like having that understanding between the parents and the practitioners and this is amazing. I'm, I'm so used to talking to occupational therapy practitioners. So being able to talk to the parents and, and share my passion and, and share my perspective and kind of my experience that I've gone through throughout the years. This has been amazing. So thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I'll connect everything in my show notes, but just tell everyone where they can find you and your podcast. 
Yeah, so you can find me at otforlife.com. That's O-T, the number four, L-Y-F-E dot com. There is a podcast page on there, so you can listen to the podcast there or on any podcast player. If you have a preference, you'll just put in OT for life. You'll find me. I'll be there. And I'm also really active on Instagram, and it's at OT dot the number four dot L-Y-F-E. So if you have any questions, you have any comments, any feedback for me, if you want to share your experience or anything that you've been going through, I'm, I'm happy to chat. And yeah, you can find me on Instagram or at my website. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Effie. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.